I'm ready. Hybrid is a multidisciplinary studio around design, build, development space that now practices high-density design, prefabrication, social engagement, and urban development. Since its founding in 2013 by Robert Humble and Joel Egan, the firm has manifested the concept of livability from economical, social, environmental, and cultural scopes, which then translates to its hybridized practice. And through their role as architect and developer, we will converse about building a community with Robert and Alex from Hybrid. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. So will you first tell us about your firm? Uh, sure, I can lead off. Um, Hybrid was originally founded, I guess in 2004 as a competition team studying uh, identity and urbanization here in the city of Seattle. and you know, through the efforts of that competition entries that we would enter, um, you know, we ended up getting some publicity and notoriety. And, you know, slowly that led to some projects and we're able to kind of transition from just an ideas-based competition team to an ideas-based architecture firm. And, you know, instead of, it's difficult sometimes as an architect, particularly as a young practice to kind of sit around by the phone and wait for it to ring with someone that wants to do something innovative. So we felt that as important as we transition more from an idea-based competition team to, to an idea-based practice that we kind of take some more control over our own projects to be able to execute some of our ideas. So that really led to uh, then just for us to begin developing our own projects. And, you know, that's half the battle is, well, that's probably three quarters of the battle comes from the developer to actually, you know, wanting to do something innovative, wanting to maybe take some risk for what is out there in, in the practice. And then it's really the architect's job to kind of execute on those ideas and bring some new ideas to the table. And finally, you know, it was important in the execution of the projects themselves that we'd be more involved in the construction process. So uh, around the time we started the construction or the, the development firm, we also began a construction company to execute and build our own projects. So now it's a full, the full cycle, all the way from, you know, a vacant piece of property. We look at it from the development standpoint, what is possible economically, um, kind of within our, our capabilities. Uh, we're able to pretty quickly bring in some cost estimating to the project, to the construction company, and pretty quickly start to iterate on some ideas. So it's been a really, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great process and I'm surprised that more architects are not involved in it. Um, but, you know, we've been now full design build development for about 10 years, a little over 10 years. Sounds amazing and holistic. How would you describe the firm's philosophy or the core values? Well, you know, hybrid as a competition team was really, you know, when we built a competition team, we could have just asked a bunch of our architecture friends to join it. But instead, Joel Egan, who originally founded hybrid with me, we kind of sat down and thought, what are values that are important to Seattleites? And, and we identified, you know, cultural values, economic values, certainly sustainable values, urbanization, livability. And we went and, and, you know, kind of recruited thought leaders 
in those fields that weren't necessarily architects or landscape architects and urban ecologists and the city historian and on and on. Um, so the kind of the values were really founded through the competition team. We tried to, you know, continue those same values now as an architecture firm, you know, and I, I think kind of what a lot of what we focus on as we're designing these things is certainly, you know, creating a sense of community, I think is always important within our projects. But we also think that in urban infill, which is really what we're involved in, is kind of filling in the little gaps of the urban fabric. You have this huge urban fabric that, of, 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 you know, neighbors, whether they're right next door or across the street, you know, that can certainly inform the design. And I think, you know, a lot of modern architecture and certainly young architects are always, when we say innovative, it's like, oh, I'm going to do something that is, you know, looks different. It's, 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 it, it, it's going to stand out because it looks innovative. And I think a lot of what we first try to do is kind of look at the context, draw from the context that might have been created 100 years ago, and then, you know, morph that or transform that into something that is more appropriate for today. And I think that's important because architecture is not really just created for architects and design professionals. It's really there for the, the public and the community. And frankly, a lot of the community cannot relate to something that is too exotic architecturally. So there's a lot of elements that we try to bring into our projects that people can relate to, whether they be stoops and porches and decks and balconies. And, you know, these are things that kind of add to a sense of community and have for the last hundred years. And we think it's important to incorporate those moving forward. And from your experiences, then what do we need to build an empowered community, maybe from the lens of um, architecture and development? Well, I mean, one of our big core concepts as developers is we feel that, you know, when infill development happens, the community feels that development happens to them. And we like to say that we want to involve the community in our projects and involve, in many, many cases, the existing property owner in the redevelopment of their property and either staying in their original structure and developing around it or, or redeveloping their property and then they'll, after construction, they'll move back into it. And these are all things that we feel that, you know, in this case, development is not happening to these community members, it's happening with these community members. So, you know, part of it is kind of an economic, you know, structure and development structure that, that fights its displacement by working with the existing property owners um, in the redevelopment of their land. And part of it is just being once again sensitive to con context um, that we're not alienating, you know, our neighbors uh, uh, architecturally. Also add to that, I'd also add to that that um, oftentimes development or architecture is looking at kind of the beauty and the form of things, but we are very conscientious of in the city of Seattle, like Seattle, where uh, home prices are rising, the ability to add density to lots and um, just by its very nature decreases the threshold to access for people to for home ownership. 
and just we, we believe that like the projects that we do are in tight urban environments and they're typically pretty dense um or they're trying to push a density limit that allows people to kind of experience an architecturally designed project but at a market rate um not not always affordable because that's uh kind of a relative term but a market rate where people can get in and actually experience that um similar to what you would be able to buy elsewhere in the city yeah that makes sense and so in what ways does having a strong sense of community um help reshape the future of our living environment you know i think you know what is a living environment if not the community itself you know what is I think the community in, in our mind is is the central core basis of, of 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 the city. And you know, I think we always think about you think about the city as these physical objects of architecture that are built up and that is the city. You know, when you see the postcard view of the city, whether it's Seattle or Paris, whatever, you're typically looking at the architecture. But that's not the city. The city is people living within it. You know, there's certainly been a lot of cities that have been kind of built overnight um, that are not particularly livable. And these are kind of what you know. I think we're all we're all searching for this sense of community. And certainly in the times of pandemic, when people could begin working from home, you know, they would leave maybe some of the larger more denser cities and more expensive cities to go live in a smaller community that you know is a small city or a small town because they feel like that they they're more connected to that emotionally and i guess the question is why is that and why can we not recreate that same sense of community within a more dense urban fabric do you want to add on to that Alex? Sure, yeah, I feel like the an increasingly individual society where everyone has their own their own car and their own house and their own everything, their own yard and all these sort of things, um, that's becoming increasingly unsustainable as well for the kind of globalized and uh, society that we live in. And so sharing resources, whether it be sharing a parking courtyard or sharing anything uh, really in these more dense urban environments allows some efficiencies, but it also allows people to just be live a little bit more in, inter, interdependent on one another. And I think that that is a very strong uh, part of community is allowing people their private space and their own separation, but also having some joint reliance on one another is like a key part um, that allows for community to organically kind of sprout up, whether it be um, one of our projects during the pandemic, for instance, there was a, there was a, like a micro school that formed in a flex space in the ground floor of one of the units. And all the kids from the neighborhood would come and do their schooling remotely together um, on the ground floor of this unit. So creating spaces that um, allow for that community engagement just helps that interrelation between between community members and helps people feel less isolated and less individualistic as well. 
Yeah, no, I do agree that I think more than ever, we're more connected with each other. So um, it's really important to have that sense of comfort um, and sense that sense of belonging with each other within a community in any design or in any city, in fact. So uh, when we looked at your firm, we were very interested with prefabrication. So what about prefabrication and process support your mission? Well, you know, once again, when we were kind of originally founded as this ideas-based competition team, some of the ideas that we were addressing or issues we were addressing was temporal land use and buildings that could be assembled on an underutilized site and add some density. And then as the neighborhood grew up around it, they could, and the underlying land value became, you know, more valuable that this building could be disassembled and moved out a little bit further to the, in, on the fringe. So really in the kind of one of our found principles was, was in, and obviously to move a building, it makes sense to, to do it modular. So, so really a lot of our very poor work from the very beginning was modular. And when we first started to attract clients, um, uh, and clients to the architecture firm, they were interested in modular construction. So we, we've continued to be involved in that. We're, we've probably done a couple dozen modular, modular projects over the years. I'm, I'm in my own single family house right now, which is modular. Mm -hmm. And it was built in Boise, Idaho in a factory and took maybe a week or two to build it. And then they put it on a truck and brought it up here and we, Put it together on site. In fact, Hybrid Assembly, which is our construction company, is called Hybrid Assembly because it was originally founded to assemble modular buildings. We were finding that we would be designing modular buildings, and inevitably there'd be a lot of questions from the general contractor of how does this go together? How, how finished is it? How do I connect it? We need to get a street use permit, we need to get a crane to the site, all these kind of questions we were answering as the architect and we realized that we could empower ourselves and become the general contractor and do this work ourselves so I, I still feel that you know one of the single biggest crisis here in the city right now it's actually the biggest crisis the city's having is one of affordability you know we're in a situation where the median sales price of a home now in city of Seattle is I think 1.2 million dollars and that's probably twice of what it was just seven, eight years ago. Um, but also the cost of construction has, when we started building, when we built our first project in 2009, I think we built it for a little under $200 square foot, or now maybe about $150 square foot. And now we're having problems building projects for under $300 a square foot. So, and a lot of that has to, I mean, there's a lot of factors. This is just a plain and urban environments are typically more expensive to build in. But, you know, there was a time 50 years ago when people would aspire to join the building trades and, and make a career out of construction. And those people now, you know, probably more aspire to be in the service industry related to tech. So we have a in this area we have a real lack of, of of labor to build, and that certainly drives up 
availability of crews and that builds up costs. So if we can build remotely where cost of living is less, where, where you know, you can build a factory environment, there's a lot of efficiencies there. That's definitely one way to address affordability. And there's, there are some distinct challenges to modular construction. Um, I think architects have a tendency when they look into modular, whether it's volumetric based or panelized, to try to invent their own system. And, and that's great for a project, but I think the real issues with modular is more adoption um, at scale. So typically what we're doing is we're identifying existing large factories that are already building modular or panelized systems or kit apart systems and learning how they do things and how they do things efficiently and, and, and just using that as a tool to design an innovative project with their system. And I would, you know, I would hope that, you know, modular construction would, you know, continue to uh, evolve. I think, you know, we do a lot of high density urban infill apartment buildings as well. Those are particularly well suited for modular building, just given the nature of an, an apartment unit and the dimensions of it and the, and the inherent economy of scale of creating a hundred of those units. But unfortunately, there just hasn't been a lot of adoption in the development community to that approach um, because it's risky, because it's not really the baseline way things have been done here in the city. And in the case of an apartment building, you know, you've got $50 million of someone else's money at risk. And that's a, that's a serious amount of money. To, 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 to take a risk with that. And once again, when, when we're our own developers, we can choose to take a risk. You know, I took the risk to build my own house modularly. And I've lived here 12 years and it's, it's, been, it's been great. But you know, ultimately, these decisions are not made by the architects. They're, they're made by the developers. So how might the emotional aspect of community or how might a community come into play in uh, such modularity? Oh, you know, I, I think the, you know, the fact that a building is modular, that's just the way it's constructed and it has ne not necessarily any impact whatsoever on how you would create a sense of community within the construction methodology. You know, I think, even a high density apartment building, there's things that we can do to create a sense of community. There's, you know, who says that an apartment building can't have a, a, a front porch? Who says, you know, there's, there's a lot of common spaces within apartment buildings, you know, like where you pick up the mail or even where you drop off the trash or how do you, you know, how do you circulate vertically to the building? Is it through an enclosed fire stair or can you really push the stair out to the perimeter of the building, have it an open, big, broad stair with, and, 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 you know, really celebrate kind of how you're circulating through this building. So I, I think the most successful apartment buildings are probably not 
eight stories tall, and we design those too. And those are sometimes a challenge to create community. But I think the more successful ones are maybe four stories tall with exterior corridors that you can make wide and kind of make that the kind of the front door and porch essentially within an apartment community. But once again, I don't think it has anything to do with that. You could do that just as easily with a modular building as you could a stick frame building. Um, do you want to share one or two of your projects um, and its impact? Um, well, I think we could have a, you know, the case study. As a case study, you know, I think there's a project that we're building right now. In fact, I'll show it to you. This is this is this is my neighbor, two doors down. It's under construction. Assuming you can see that out the, out the window. Um, this is a scenario where you know, this is my neighbor, two doors down. It's lived here for, I've been in this house for 11 years. And, you know, previously she had a double lot and lived in this house for about 30 years. And it is in really poor shape, had a tarp on its roof. She had really no economic ability to fix the roof, to get a new dishwasher. But her underlying land value was, you know, worth a lot of money. You know, her lot, her, her, she had a double-sized lot, you know, in an urban neighborhood, and she could have sold it to a developer for maybe $800,000, um, and they would have torn down her house, and she would have $800,000. But as we mentioned, the median price of housing in the city is $1.2 million. So $800,000 is unfortunately not enough to get into new housing in this city. So she would have had, she would have been displaced. She would have had to move, you know, 50 miles south and outside the city limits to a new neighborhood and start all over again, creating this sense of community. Um, but we, you know, we work to deal with her and we've done this on, once again, with other properties when we're, when development's not happening to them, it's, it's happening with them that we partnered with her as a developer in the redevelopment of her land. And she had all of her land equity that she left in the deal. She became our 50-50 partner. She's hybrid is 50% is owner of this new LLC and she's 50% owner of this new LLC. We use her equity in the land. Hybrid then puts in all the cash required to design and permit this project. We then, you know, we demolished her house and now we're building four new units on this same site. We're going to sell three of them as the 50-50 partner in the project. She's going to get one half of the profits of that plus the original equity that she had in her land and use that to move into one of the new units. So this is a case where her old house with a tarp on its roof is being replaced with a brand new house that's with a accessory dwelling unit in it that is living all on one level so that she can age in place as she gets older. And it's kind of bespoke designed to her specific, you know, specifications. So we're excited for the opportunity in maybe six months or so that she's been renting a place while we're building it. But when it's when it's over, she's gonna move right back in and be be my neighbor. And I think that's just that's a case study of kind of the way that developers can 
be creative. And, and it's, it's much, much less about the architecture. We haven't talked anything about what this thing looks like. The story is, is, is about Delena and her husband and her family and how, you know, that's the problem we're trying to solve is one of displacement. Um, that's how, I mean, she's, 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 she's a fabric of this community. And we talk about community again, if she has to move, once again, there's strangers are gonna move in and eventually they'll become part of the community too, but she's, she's lived on this street longer than anybody. Um, so that, and that's, that's a good thing for us as developers too, because, you know, we don't have to go, you know, buy her land for $800,000. That's a lot of money. And you can't always do that with a bank loan. You have to do it with cash. So that really limits the amount of projects we can take on at any given time. So by partnering with, with existing property owners, we feel like that's a, that's a real win-win. It gives them access to equity. It gives them access to the development profits, and it allows us to to do a project that maybe otherwise we wouldn't have been able to. That's amazing. Although you can't answer this, but lastly, how do you foresee a developer's role in achieving success through architecture? I feel like that last story demonstrates the fact that as a developer starting as a developer is like so with the development lens is so important like like rob said we didn't talk about any of the architecture in that story but that was the the development uh wherewithal and the structure is what created the ability for the community to have kind of a underlying community focused basis and i think as more architecture architects become aware of kind of the need to put on a developer lens and create community through an economic lens that is sustainable, uh, the architecture then kind of follows suit. And I feel like many architects kind of are at the whim of a developer's goals and most developers don't see an opportunity, they see land value, and they see dollars and cents and they don't see community very often. And so the more that you can be well-versed in that language and that role as a developer, the more it can suit you to bring your values to the table. And frankly, a lot of developers kind of one value is making money or an idea of community creation, but it's not typically a super creative one. And so the more creativity you can bring to the financial structure of a deal, I think it kind of informs the creativity that that can outflow from the architecture as well. Couldn't think of a better way to end. I think it's a nice reminder that whatever we do, designing, building is always for the community or for the people, and and we always need to remind ourselves that that's the goal and not what something might look like, but it's the intrinsic or the emotional qualities that is very important as well. Um, thank you so much, Rob and Alex, for your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Nice to talk to you.